When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lee Steve Bear, Stephen Means. We talk to Nathan, 20 Ohio State Buckeyes players on Wednesday, a true bowl media day in Columbus before everybody heads to Atlanta. Just so everybody knows the schedule, last practice for Ohio State will be on the 21st, and then they are expected to be in Atlanta on Christmas night. So... Local players, there will be a team charter that leaves from Columbus on Christmas afternoon, Christmas evening, and many players will take that. But the far-flung players, this is always the case in bowl season, you get money for the bowl that you can just fly from where you are. So C.J. Stroud, if he's going to L.A., and I don't know if he is, doesn't have to fly from there to Columbus and then to Atlanta, right? If you're going to Texas, if you're going to Florida, you can go straight from home to the bowl site that flight is paid for you. So 21st, last practice, which also coincidentally is National Signing Day. 25th, they will be there. Stuff picks up on the 26th. Nathan, 20 guys to talk to. Pretty good. Pretty good. That was like, a, and, and like 20 real dudes. We talked to like maybe the 20 most interesting and important players on this roster. Great selection. It was, it was fantastic. Uh, and I thought for all the things that we wanted to know about, get some injury intel. Get some thoughts on Keenan Bailey. Get some thoughts about what that week of dealing with the Michigan loss and leading into the Pac-12 championship game was like. Like, Just so many different things that we wanted to find out about, and I thought we got a great spectrum of perspectives from this whole roster. Can I say, uh, maybe I'm reading too deep into things, but that's part of what we do here is reading too deep into things. I think we got the best two players at every spot. Outside of right guard, because Matthew Jones is hurt, and then we didn't get Lathan Ransom. But we got the starting quarterback, starting running back, all three starting receivers, all the offensive linemen except Matthew Jones, the starting tight end, Zach and JT are the best two defensive ends, uh, Teron Vincent and Mike Hall are the best two defensive tackles, Tommy and Steele are the linebackers, and then Ronnie and Tanner are the other two safeties. And then, and the reason I'm reading too into this is if that's the case, the two corners we got were Cam Brown and Jordan Hancock. Yeah, I wouldn't read into that as like Denzel Brooks not going to start in the Peach Bowl or anything. But, I, yeah, because um, I'm sure – because they did request. I don't know if you guys got – but I was asked who should come. And I don't remember if I requested Burke, but I'm pretty sure I requested both Brown and Hancock because we needed to find out injury things about them that we didn't necessarily need to find out about Denzel. Yeah, I'm not reading anything that Denzel Burke didn't talk. Um, but I do think – it mattered that we got we like we ran through the 22 projected starters we got like you were saying we got almost all of them Mm -hmm. so um that was good we got to talk to the guys that matter 
about the game that matters. And so let's start off with a little particular football. I had mentioned this on the bowl uh, preview pod that went up on Wednesday, but we have not talked about it. The announcement that Trivion Henderson is having surgery and is officially out for the Peach Bowl. And then Nathan, the companion piece of that is Mayan Williams speaking on Wednesday admitted a yes he was not himself in the Michigan game b he expects that he will be healthy for the peach bowl how big of a deal is that like you, you get part a nathan with travion and it makes part b even more vital and it felt like part b sounded pretty good part b is is essential because they knew that they weren't going to have, I mean, it'd become pretty obvious that Jackson to the Jigba, for instance, wasn't going to be around. So you need the other receivers to be healthy to have a chance to beat Georgia. And we had kind of gotten the impression that things weren't looking good for Trevion Henderson. So you need these other guys. You need Mayan Williams in particular to be closer to healthy because the crucial thing that he talked about today was something we had been sort of theorizing about. None of us played running back in the Big Ten, uh, I don't believe. Uh, to my knowledge, I didn't. And but we've always made this assumption that from watching these guys, that when when they are healthy, they look one way, and when they're banged up, when we know they're coming off of injuries, when we know they're playing through things, they sometimes look another way. That isn't always the full excuse for the way that they run. We think there are some vision things that should be questioned there, and that Trevion Henderson in particular needs to get better at. But Mayan too. But Mayim today was talking, you know, answered in the affirmative. Yes, when you're hurt, and especially when you have a foot injury, a ankle injury, a lower body injury, lower leg injury, that sometimes just because you see the hole doesn't mean you trust your body to make the cut necessary to hit that hole the right way. And we had something we've been talking about. And Ohio State was sometimes you can either say they were getting caught in a tough place where a guy would practice and look healthy enough to play, and then you get on the field and find out that is coming up that and maybe it's because something happens during a game that aggravates the injury and, and that's how he starts to feel or maybe it, it was just the, the the intensity of the game that is different than practice I don't know but that's where they were getting caught a little bit in between still trying to rely on Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams and get the most out of them that they could but also in real in reality Dallin Hayden and we saw it being healthier than those two guys, even if he doesn't maybe have the upside that they both have right now, was sometimes producing better because he didn't have that hesitation, that cautiousness in the back of his mind. So that was something Mayan Williams admitted today, talked about today. And if he can be healthy and that takes that element out of what was kind of holding him back uh, when we saw him last against Michigan, he can be more productive. And really all Ohio State needs is what they've needed from their running game all along, which is, yeah, the, the open field stuff, Trevin Henderson's breakaway stuff, that is great. It's almost a bonus, though, because if your running game could just keep you on schedule and let the passing game attack on its terms, that gives them a chance against Georgia. He wasn't himself against Michigan. Eight for 34, eight carries, 34 yards was okay. But I think, Steve, when you go back, when you, you saw that game, the, as you watched it live, you could tell. You know, I think there was a run left where it felt like, oh, there might have been more there. And it's like he just almost couldn't keep his feet. You know, he couldn't propel himself through an opening. And I, it, it's not to make an excuse for the run game. But, you know, as through the year, I've been like, just stop running it. Why? Stop trying because it's not working. A lot of that reality was like it's it's not working because 
you haven't been consistently healthy with the guys who have the ball in their hand. I'm not saying to me, Steve, I don't know. To, to you, Stephen, how much does it change your view of the Ohio State run game if the Buckeyes are getting a whatever? I mean, you know, 90% healthy Mayan Williams who will be able to do what he wants to do. I mean, it's still the complimentary piece to this offense. I'm not expecting, oh, Mayan Williams is healthy now, so he's going to have 250 rushing yards because that's what this offense does. No, I'm expecting him to be able to anywhere from 15 to 20 carries, and he's got anywhere from 85 to 110 with he's with the capability of breaking one if necessary. But as Nathan said, it's just more about keeping things on schedule and keeping defenses honest and having to respect the run enough that it doesn't take away your vertical passing attack. Because that's part of the problem. is They weren't going vertical. One, because, I mean, the play calling wasn't going vertical. But also, you probably can't go vertical if a team is consistently putting two safeties back there because they're not worried about you running the ball. So it just it's just something that Georgia may have to be honest about in a way that, quite frankly, for the last three or four weeks of the season here, that hasn't been the case with other teams. And that's all you're asking for here. I, I don't, they don't need Mayan Williams to go Trey Sermon 2020 or Ezekiel Elliott 2014. They need him to be – they don't even need him to be J.K. Jobbins 2019, even though that would be great if they did that. But they don't need that for him. They need him to just be well, a complimentary to what this passing attack should be. That remains to be seen. They might actually need him to be that to be George. I mean, George is really good. But I think it's just the, the mental part of it is almost more important than the physical part, even though – but they're tied together, I know. But you know what I'm saying? That, like, if Mayan Williams believes – He's healthy enough to do everything he can do on the field. That's the most important thing. Because against Georgia, I think those opportunities are going to be less frequent. I think those holes are going to be less open. They're going to be open for a smaller duration of time. Like You have less margin for error against this defense than almost any defense, maybe any defense they've played all year. Do you guys know how many – you want to guess how many games this year Mayan Williams had 15 carries or more? Two. I believe it's two. Three. Might be three. Three. And yeah, here's three. what he did. Rutgers, 21 for 189. Northwestern, 26 for 111. Indiana, 15 for 147. And that was so only if you give him the ball that many times, if you give him the ball that many times, he's been – now, I understand that's not Georgia. I understand that's not Georgia. But I think there is one person that a healthy lead back that they know about, right? And, that, like, that's – come back to us when Mayan Williams is abducted by aliens in the second series, right? And it's like, oh my God, you're right. So I think there's one person that having a healthy lead back will have the greatest effect on. Do you guys want to guess who I think it has going to have the greatest effect on? Uh, just because it feels like it's, the answer is not actually obvious. I'll say Julian Fleming. Do you want to guess, Nathan, who I think it has the greatest effect on? Uh, it might be Ryan Day. It's Ryan Day. That's my guy. That's who, because I think it's the guy who has been calling plays, and we've all at times it's been like this year been like ah, I think he has not been sure of what they have in the run game, game to game, series to series, down to down, and it has affected how he thinks about calling the game, because I think at times he's been like, well, I don't know, I don't know, our run game hasn't seemed very good. Let's try to get it going. And then at times it's been like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. Is our run game healthy? Maybe we shouldn't run here. 
And it, I think if we have thought at times that Ryan Day, if you, if you arched your eyebrows about play calling at times, I think, Nathan, at times he's been in his own head about what this run game is and isn't from week to week. And they get in there, they start that game planning on Sunday and Monday, and they're thinking about what, we, well, here's who we think we have based on who we think we have here, the types of plays that we like for this week. And then you try to see if by the end of the week, that's what you actually have. And is that what you have from a health standpoint in the midst of a game? And I think it's affected them. And I, I all the questions we've had about the run game, I think they've had about the run game. All the questions we've had about like, man, does it feel like guys are hitting holes? I think they've had questions about our guys hitting holes. Why aren't they hitting it? Is it because their feet are hurt? Is it because they can't plant and go? Is it because they don't see it? What's happening? Do we have to play the freshman? At least he'll hit the hole. But then how explosive are we? I think this could be very healthy for how they think about attacking Georgia. And I'm not, maybe, I think maybe they've been in their own head too much about it, right? It's just, all right, listen, you're Ohio State. There's somebody back there with CJ. There's somebody who's a good athlete. So give them the ball and hope for the best. But I, I, I could see that as much as we have said, Nathan, it's like, and Ryan Day said this on, on uh, Tuesday, right? Closure on Jackson Smith and Jigba. You don't have to think, oh, is he going to be back? I don't know. You know what you have. You know what you don't have. I, there's a little bit of that in the running back room. If you are, and they, I think they are. We know that. Trey is out. And they are planning for a healthy Mayan. Figure out the number two, and that's what you have. Now, how are you going to attack Georgia? I think that will help the guy with the play sheet, Nathan. I really think it will. I think there has been a little bit of a, a crisis of confidence there. And just think about how this season's played out. Uh, to get to some more specificity, uh, they show up for the Rutgers game, and uh, Travion Henderson all of a sudden can't play. So your lead, your starting running back during warmups, out of nowhere, can't play. So now Mayan Williams takes over, and it worked out fine. But again, it's not what you had game planned for all week. And then Mayan Williams coming out of uh, coming a couple weeks later, you're playing at Penn State, and he has only two carries and has that weird thing on the sideline, and now he can't play. Like there was always just something kept popping up that throws off the plan, and that's why yes, you have to have backup guys. But I think you're right that beyond just that and goes back to what we were talking about with the confidence thing of each individual player. I think what you would see things play out, I'm, I'm guessing, and I, I, we're reading between the lines a little bit here, but Ryan Day has talked about this in fragments throughout the season, that you're seeing things in practice and you're preparing based on what you see in practice. And then the game happens and it, it doesn't match up always. And sometimes it's because a guy gets knocked out, can't play. Sometimes it's because what we were talking about before that I think, getting into games and now the injury comes up again and now you start running in a different way. So it's, I think you're right that if he has a, a back that he can trust, it might, it not only might change the way he approaches some things, or maybe it's not a, a huge change in the way he approaches some things, but now what he needs to have confidence that when he calls X, X run is Z run, whatever, that it, it, it's going to be effective because the guy has confidence he can run that play. Is that a play call? X, X, run, Z, run? I meant like X, like Z run for X. It was like an algebra. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he's running off of Marvin Harrison or running off of Julian. That's a, well, that's so, a stretch play like, for you. I don't think that it, whether you think it should or not, like people might be listening and be like, what do you mean? Call the plays. You have enough good players, just call the plays. Well, that's great. Okay. But I think it might be a reality and, Maybe this is a different reality than what much of the regular season has been. 
which is uncertainty at running back. And now you don't have everybody, but you've got a little more certainty whether it should have an effect or not. I think it has. And so I'm not expecting here. Here's the thing, Steven. I think you want a consistent and reliable run game, right? Of course. But you also would love an explosive run game. Because, again, we were talking about, are we sure there's an Ohio State running back who would have turned those Donovan Edwards touchdown runs into touchdown runs the way he did? You can look at it and it seems easy. There's a hole, you hit it, you're gone. But also you've got to hit the hole and make the guy miss and then run away from people. So I don't know if they'll have that explosion with Mayan, but I think they'll have the reliability, Stephen. And I think they'll have a little bit of the tackle breaking. And I keep going back to that Northwestern run. If they don't get that touchdown run from him in the Northwestern game, I'm not a thousand percent sure what happens in that game. And that was not much there. And he made a lot out of not much and broke two tackles and was gone. And if Stephen, if he can do that, I understand George is not Northwestern. I understand George is not Northwestern. If he can do a version of that twice against Georgia, turn a four into a 12 and turn a nine into a 17, I don't know, man. Like that could be, those could feel like huge plays considering they they just often have, there have been games where they have not gotten that from the run game at times. Yeah, Rutgers and, and Northwestern aren't Georgia, but it's also how we got introduced to Mayan in the Sugar Bowl two years ago against Clemson, who I understand Georgia's had some historically great defensive line, but that Clemson defensive line was also pretty stout and had some elite NFL players on it as well. And that's how we got introduced to him. So he's shown before he can do it at this level. Now, is he going to do – he's not Trey in terms of – He's not running for 60 yards straight. He's not a burner like that, but he is a violent runner that is going to shrug a couple guys off of him. And that's what the Northwestern game was. And so if he does that enough times and he's wearing down guys because they're arm tackling and then eventually he breaks a 35 yard run, that's, that's what they need from him. They need Mayan to run the way Mayan runs, which then takes to the point of the play calling stuff. Now we're not worried so much about the long handoff bubble screen stuff because you're actually being able to run the ball. So you're not supplanting that elsewhere, which so now instead of CJ throwing the ball sideways, he's throwing it down the field because you've established your run game the way that in a more traditional sense. So I just, I think we've covered the idea that this very first thing that we're talking about off the top is potentially important to how Ohio State is going to play this game. The other part of the running game equation, Nathan, is something that was brought up with Ryan Day on Tuesday. We have not talked about it on the pod yet. And it's the Dallin Hayden situation, which I feel like we don't really have an answer for. He talked a lot about like Tony Alfred's the running backs coach. That's what Tony decided to do in the Michigan game is play chip train them ahead of Dallin Hayden. That, Order pecking order at running back didn't really necessarily match up with the way that we thought about it going into the game with necessarily the way that Ryan Day seemed to talk about Dallin Hayden going into the game. But at this point, you're talking about would it be Chip Trainum or Dallin Hayden as the number two behind Mayan Williams for this game? Ryan Day did say, well, we expect Dallin Hayden to play an important role or whatever the phrase was in the Peach Bowl. I don't know that we're going to ever get like much clarity on what happened against Michigan. It's still a curiosity, and maybe someday we'll solve the mystery, Nathan. But as it relates to Dallin Hayden looking ahead, what's our view of that at the moment in terms of behind Mayan Williams for the Peach Bowl? Well, it came up with Mayan today, uh, both halves of this. And as we had theorized that, you know, maybe 
that Chip Traynham had just shown him something in practice, I asked, and he said, yeah, like he had just really, he had torn it up in practice that week before, really, uh, you know, finishing runs, running hard. Like they saw something out of him that week. This is from Mayan Williams. But at the same time, he early in the interview had been asked, you know, about Trevion being out and how he was, how he was bummed out about that. Cause he, he knows what it's like to get to this stage and have it kind of take it away from you. Not quite at the same context, but in 2020, he had started to play a little bit and then he got, he tested one of the guys that tested positive for COVID before the national championship game and couldn't play. Um, but, but he said, you know, other guys are going to have to step up. And the first guy he mentioned was Dallin's going to have to step up. So Mayan still looks at, at it as Dallin is right there in the mix of guys who are going to potentially carry the ball. And he did carry the ball twice against Michigan, but it, it but it clearly seemed counter to, as you're saying, to everything that the momentum that had been building leading into that game. So maybe Tony Alford, when we talked to him at media day, assuming we get to down in um, Atlanta, will shed some more light on this and, and some more specificity. But at the very least, we can say that the chip training thing wasn't a flyer that they really had. He really was showing this team some things in practice leading into that game. And, and Mayan said it was not a surprise that he was able to come in and run as well as he did. So we had, you know, we had done a video where we talked Stephen about the idea of they've done this in the past. They did this with Master Teague and Mayan Williams of like, hey, like kind of who had the better practice week? Oh, they're the number two back this week. Maybe that's what this was with Chip Trainum and Dallin Hayden and and Nathan. You're saying that maybe there's there's something to that. And then maybe like maybe Dallin Hayden has a great bowl practice. It is interesting, Stephen, that we are caught up. I think fans just think it's want to know what's up. We kind of want to know what's up. The decision to play Chip Trainum, like Chip Trainum played well. <laughs> like, like Chip Trainum ran for 84 yards. It's not yeah. like, oh, hey, Tony Alford, why'd you play that Trainum guy? He really uh, was, t- oh, he had 14 for 83. Oh, 5.9 yards per carry. Oh, actually, that seems rather competent. Great call, Tony Alford. It just wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So, like, Stephen, do you think, who do you think should be the number two running back for the Peach Bowl? And do you think, how big of a deal do you think it is as we think about who, how much that guy might get run behind Mayan and how much a, di- a difference there might be between Dallin and Chip? <laughs> this is definitely only a big deal because Dallin Hayden had 100 yards in back-to-back games leading up into the Michigan game. And he, if he had had like 75 yards in each of those games, we probably wouldn't be as focused on it as much as we are. But I don't think it's going to matter as much because you have a month to prepare for it. And that's a big sample size of practices for Dallin Hayden and Chip Trainum to both prove themselves and being the number two guy. You have the, you have your number one. That was the first question. And really the most important thing is, are you going to have both Travion and Maya? Okay. No. Are you going to have at least one? Okay. Yes. We know that answer. Everything else. I mean, you got three more weeks to figure that out. And I don't think it really matters. Whoever shows you over these next, over these bowl practices, both now and then they also get down to Atlanta is the better back should be the secondary back because that's six to eight carries max for whoever that is knocks on wood that we don't run into another situation where the starter ends up only playing the half. And, and I do think either of them is, is probably capable of being 
a secondary back in that situation, right? Even against a very, very good team like Georgia. Uh, Chip Trainum, by the way, in his career at Arizona State, had only had three games where he had more rushing yards than he did against Michigan. So that guy showed up, man. That guy was like, I mean, that guy's a football player. He had a really good day. <laughs> he, he, is, he is quite a football player. I don't know. Again, it feels like there are these guys sometimes who you're just not exactly sure what to do with them. And I don't know what his career at Ohio State is going to be. But Steven, man, like Chip Trainum, I would take him. I would take him on my team and then make him like the backup at every position. And it's like, I don't know. Could you play safety today? It's like uh, Mac yeah. Jones's ankle doesn't feel great. Could you play right guard tonight? He'd be like, I play right guard. I'm fine. He's just a football it's, player. He's It's almost the best and the worst thing to be in college football because we saw it with DeMario McCall. Jack of all trades, master of none. Because when you are that, they can move you all over the place, and then you never find a home, and then you end up getting lost. I think it's working out perfectly this time because, one, the running back room has had some issues, and the linebacker room hasn't. But also, he's older, so you're not all the way worried about the you're killing this kid's development in his first two years here. He's a veteran at this, and so there is a maturity there that he can probably – I don't, maybe he's back at linebacker in the spring. And right now they just really needed some running backs. And once they get everybody healthy and we get back to the spring, he's right back in the linebacker room because he did go through some physical transformation there. But I think him being an older player who's been through this a little bit, it's easier to do this, to yank him around at this point in his career. Even if you know that once we get to January, you're going to press the reset button and go back to what the original plan was. Well, and we didn't talk to Chip Trainum today, and we haven't talked to him since he moved to the running back room. But Ryan Day said it was he was the one who approached them first. So that's, I think, an important part of this, too. Mm-hmm. That he's not being told, like, hey, we, you know how you haven't been playing a linebacker? Well, that's not going to change. How would you feel about it? Like, he's the one who stepped up and said, <laughs> hey, how about if I play some running back? Because it looks like we're going to need it. Yeah. In 2020, he had 84 yards and two touchdowns against USC, right? I mean, again, that was Chip. That was Clay Helton, USC. But I mean, like Chip, Chip Trainum is. That's mean. <laughs> no, I'm. I, I'm just saying, like, how can you be a guy who you're a running back? You're a Pac-12 running back. You transferred to Ohio State to be a linebacker, and then it's like, eh, can you be the starting running back against Michigan? He's like, yep, I can do it. And he runs for 83 yards. He yeah. had just 5.9 yards per carry. Who does that? That is difficult to do. So while we were obsessing about Dallin Hayden, it was like Chip Trainer was like, you guys know I had I averaged 5.9 yards per carry against Michigan, right? Like the number one of the top five defenses in the country. You know, like I did I did my thing, right? You guys know that? And the linebacker, Chip, the linebacker. Yeah, you did. And had had one reception for like 14 yards that counted, and another big one that didn't count, that wasn't his fault. It was a callback by holding penalty. Like he was he was showing other skills too. It's so I agree with Steven. Like I know that people want when when it's the new guy, a young guy, and they think that there's all this promise. But like if Chip Trainum's practicing better than Dallin Hayden, then he should play ahead of Dallin Hayden. That's the end of the conversation, right? No, I think it's just in the end, it's the way it transpired. And it's right. just so when weird. Coach- when coaches say one thing, like you see something, everyone talks about that thing yeah. to back up what you just saw, and then you see yeah. the exact opposite, and it's like, why did we see the exact opposite? And Ryan Day's answer was like, yeah, we just kind of decided it. And it was like, okay, well, okay. Um, but also, like, I he wouldn't, was getting I a lot wonder, of questions about Dallin Hayden. Sorry, he was getting a lot of questions about Dallin Hayden 
But I don't know if anybody was even asking about Chip training because he'd been hurt for a couple of weeks. So nobody was like, oh, in addition to Dallin, how is Chip looking in practice? He might have lost his mind telling us how good he looked in practice, too. But I don't, nobody asked for that week. Yeah, it was, we. I think the Chip question stopped after. It was like, hey, Chip was warming up with the running backs. What's going on there? Yeah, yeah, he's a running back now. Cool, 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 cool. He's the fourth running back. We're not going to think about that. And then he pops up for the Michigan game. It's just very weird. And now it's no longer weird because we're here now. No, I know, but it just makes me. It's like, should we ask every week if Marvin Harrison Jr. might play corner? Probably. It's like, it's like, could Luke Whipler play middle linebacker? It's like, well, actually, he is playing middle linebacker this week. Yeah. Funny that you asked. Tommy Eichenberg has five broken hands, so we made Luke Whipler the middle linebacker. It's like, oh, good, we asked about that. Luke Whipler's starting at middle linebacker in the Peach Bowl. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known if we hadn't asked if the center is moving to defense. I mean, That's for what it's worth, for what it's worth, CJ Stroud. Working out on the Monarch machine today after after we, we talked just, to everybody. Steven asked so. you asked CJ Stroud how his hands were. He you did. asked yeah. CJ He said he can have he's just, got hands and he gave a really good example for why he's got hands. It's because he catches more balls than anybody else with those center snaps. So I'm just saying. And I'm, I'm just, just saying, saying that, that I have covered an Ohio State team that in a bowl game had the starting quarterback start yep. at wide receiver for one snap. So if we come out and Chip Trainum is at quarterback and C.J. Stroud is the Z receiver, don't be surprised because anything is possible. And if you don't happen to ask if 10 different players have changed positions, you might be surprised. Okay. Todd Beckman started at quarterback in the Fiesta Bowl against Texas, played one snap. Terrell Pryor played wide receiver. And then when they listed Terrell Pryor's career record as a starting quarterback, they gave that loss to Todd Beckman. Todd Beckman played one <laughs> snap. Yeah. It was like, oh, Terrell Pryor. He's whatever, whatever in three as a starting quarterback. It's like he played 68 snaps at quarterback when they lost to Texas in the Fiesta Bowl. And Todd Beckman's like, what did I do? First, they took Todd Beckman's job away that year. And they were like, hey, could you play? And they didn't give us Terrell Pryor in the bowl media day that year. They they gave us the starters and they didn't give us Terrell Pryor and then they're like well he wasn't he didn't start he wasn't the starting quarterback he's not Todd Beckman take that loss uh, okay when we come back we have a bunch of other things to talk about from what we uh, learned from players on Wednesday we'll do it next on Buckeye Talk Douglas Maurice back with Nathan Baird and Stephen Means six one four three five zero three three one five if you want to be a text subscriber, we're getting to the point where the two-week free trial would – we're getting close to the point where it would take you up through the game on December 31st. So we're getting there. If you want to hold on for a couple more days, then join for the free trial. Trial, You'll get uh, two weeks of text. You'll get the whole week of coverage in Atlanta and then the game itself because we always text uh, during the games. And then you can, you can quit the second the game ends. CJ Stroud said something that I, I see at least one texter has asked about, and it's from the 513. Men, would really like to hear your take on the pod about CJ's Woody versus the world comments. I know how I took the comments. I'm curious to hear a critical take on what you thought of the comments. And I think they mean critical, not like negative, but like analyzing. Like, let's analyze that, which is fine. We're here to analyze things. Uh, I listened back to those CJ Stroud comments. CJ Stroud, I thought today had an interesting interview session and then was sort of hanging out afterwards and seemed relaxed and in a good headspace. And like this guy just finished third in the Heisman and he's playing in the college football playoff. And that is a pretty good place to be. 
That comment specifically, Stephen, you were there when he said it. What did you make of Woody versus the world? Yeah, and then I had a short little conversation with him afterward about that amongst a lot of the other things he had said when he was sitting there. I'm trying to figure out how to put this because it's 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 there's a small most Ohio State fans are great people. They're great fans. They cheer for the team. Obviously, you're disappointed when they lose, but you're sensible about things. But like with most things, especially on social media, the smallest representation of a thing is typically the loudest. And it feels like lately there are a group of players on this team who have had to deal with that small but loud group, and it's getting to them. Um, and it's, it's, it's even going past that. Uh, CJ was addressing stuff like the rumors about Jackson Smith and Jigba Clinton on his team. And the reason he was opting out was to, uh, I, some report, I think it was, uh, from ESPN, uh, one of the draft experts talking Todd about McShay. how there was scouts, Todd McShay talking about how there were scouts who felt like Jackson Smith and Jigba was opting out to protect his draft stocks instead of him actually being hurt. There, I mean, Travion Henderson's dealt with stuff all year because this is, let's just be honest, this has not been the second year. Uh, this has kind of been a sophomore slump for him. So he's dealt with a lot of that stuff. And CJ was really, really, he took a lot of that personal and got, when it kind of went out of his way to defend a lot of his teammates with some of the stuff he was saying. And that Woody versus the world, we all know what the Ohio versus the world is. It's the Ohio State team, but it's also the fan base. It's everybody versus the rest of the country. This felt more like a group of teammates who feel like it's more this Ohio State football team against everybody else. Because, like I said to Gore, it's a small group of the fan base, but it's always the loudest one. And it feels like this team has had to defend itself from just idiotic takes more often than groups in, in years past. And that might not be true. It may be true. But at times it has felt that way for a lot of these players. So that's not the first time I've heard the phrase in the last couple of weeks, Woody versus the world. Yeah. And um, that idea, listen, this is, again, a very odd situation that Ohio State is coming off a devastating loss and now is in the playoff. And all that's in between is time and preparation. There's not another game. It's just time. And maybe the time and the opportunity has healed some wounds. But there were, I mean, you know, I can... We've talked about it. We can go through the texts, and yeah. we have a lot of loyal, dedicated Ohio State fans in our focus group of tech subscribers, and they were hot, man. And they were sending – that was just us. So and, – and good. Send it to us. It's better to send it to us than send it out into the world. We'll keep it in-house. It's fine. You can send it to us. But a lot of Ohio State fans were not supporting the team in defeat. They were mad at the team. And now – the only thing that's changed is that USC lost and there's some time and now they're getting ready to go play again. So that idea that, I mean, they're not, they felt that. So I mm-hmm. do think at times I thought, I do think, and I'm not addressing this only to CJ. I do think this team, and I do think it is more society in this era. There are times where this team can act like, Everybody hates us. Nobody believes in us. And it's like, you're undefeated. You're number two. Everybody thinks you're going to the playoff. People are picking you to win the national championship. Like, what are you talking about? Like, the the the, the group that is criticizing you is very, very small, right? And, and like, most people think you're quite good at this. It's okay. <laughs> Nobody makes people happy all the time. 
But there are times I think when I don't want to say I would not use the phrase overly sensitive, but I do think sometimes they take the bad to heart, the tiny, tiny little bad to heart more than they take the good to heart. And that's, I think, real because everybody takes the bad to heart more than you take the good to heart. And in the social media world, the bad comes right in your feed, baby. And your family hears it, your friends hear it, all that stuff. And I do think sometimes I thought it's okay. Just ignore it. It's fine. But it got hot after the Michigan loss. And so that is, I don't know, Nathan, magnified times what? A million of any type of criticism they had taken along the way that if they didn't, you know, they took too long to put away Penn State or they didn't beat Notre Dame by enough or is they good as, are they as good as Tennessee or whatever, all that kind of thing, which was really nothing. This was real. And it's like, I mean, I don't want to say it's their fault, but they lost. They lost and people were mad. But they aren't like instantaneously forgetting that because more people came at them more ferociously. And Stephen, as you said, it's not everybody. It's not most mm-hmm. people. But I think the number of people grew and the ferocity grew. It wasn't the majority, but we also can't pretend it was 0.1% of the fan base. I mean, like, again, we had 12% of the people who wanted to fire the coach even after 24 hours, right? There are, I mean, we've, we've seen plenty of negative comments about various players on this team from the most loyal diehard fans. And you have the right to do that. You have the, and there are, there are justifiable critiques of many parts of this number four team in the country that is one of the four teams with a chance to win a national championship. There are very justifiable critiques and they've heard them. And while I think they are not carrying, like, I don't think it's going to affect like that they're going to not play well against Georgia because they're they had their feelings hurt. I don't know that everybody's ready to be like, we're all in this together, everybody. Let's go, Ohio. We're all circle the wagons because like I like in the moments after the Michigan loss, that was not the vibe. Now, there are and, and Nathan, I'll let you talk here in a second. There are other people, there are plenty of people like this who are saying like we do support these guys no matter what. From the 615, people criticize CJ for a lack of passion. Those same people are probably salty because his passion called them out for their treatment of JSN, Travion, and himself. Also, mm-hmm. go, look, go look at the passion he showed after the first touchdown to Emeka in the Michigan game, which we all noted at the time, and tell me there wasn't any passion there. Same goes for those critical of Day. Almost every player said it was Day who held the team together before the USC game, before that during that window of uncertainty. It's time for real fans to stop allowing those sometimes fans' voices to be loudest and drown them out with support of this team. Go Bucks! That's Derek in the 615. So, again, we are not trying to paint with a broad brush, Nathan. But as Stephen astutely said, it is a it is a small group, but it is a loud group. And trust us, they heard you. <laughs> they heard you in the woody. And so there is some instinct, and it doesn't mean that they're mad at the fans, but there's some instinct of like, okay, when you get outside criticism, you turn internal, you turn inside. And so that's Woody versus the world, right? It's the people in the yeah. Woody Hayes Athletic Center. It's, it doesn't mean – I think it, it doesn't mean that they don't want Ohio along on the ride with them, but I think it's like we're not going to rely on them. Right. Because a lot of them were yelling at us two weeks ago. So we're not going to rely on them. 
We're going to rely on ourselves because we're really the people in charge of our own destiny here. So the, the original texter asked, like, I know how I took it. If you, I assume that fan is taken as like, hey, like, I get it. Like, you're mad at us. And if that, I think if that makes you mad as a fan, that's fine. But Nathan, I also think maybe you would understand why maybe there's some, some feelings like that to some degree on the team. Yeah, and I don't even know if mad at us is the right way to phrase it, but I think there's a couple dynamics at play. And one of them traces back to when we did the story talking to the player parents before the Michigan game. And Eric Chambers, Steel Chambers' father, brought up just something he said to me kind of in passing about how sometimes the players, it, it feels to the players like people don't enjoy anything. Like there's there's no mm-hmm. win big enough for a certain segment of this fan base to enjoy. Like you, you maybe the Wisconsin win was like the one this year, but like you beat Iowa 49 to 10 or whatever it was. And people were kind of like, well, but that was kind of clunky with, and you know, like people always have those qualifiers. And we, we, we scrutinize this team too, because they are held to a high standard. And I don't think they're saying don't hold us to a high standard, but I think what they're saying is um, that the, the, they go through a lot to get to this point. And if you're, if you're not, if you don't feel like you're enjoying any of the good things, then it makes the criticism for the bad things that much worse. And then as it relates to CJ Stroud in particular, nobody, that Michigan loss in the moment did more damage to his legacy than anybody else in that stadium. Because Ryan Day, even though he was then going to be one and two against Michigan and now been the guy who oversaw the giving up of the crown of the Big Ten, which he inherited and had just now, Jim Harbaugh had taken it away, he's coming back next year to try to win another game and get the ball rolling back in the other direction. For C.J. Stroud, it was over. So those first 20, first minutes, first 24 hours, first 48 hours, all those things he was hearing was about how you are less now because you never beat Michigan. And he predicted that in the post-game press conference and said, I know what people are going to say about me. I didn't beat Michigan. I didn't win a Big Ten championship. And guess what? I have to eat it. That was his words. Like, I'm going to have to eat that because it's true. But nobody, nobody's reputation, long-term reputation, in the moment took a bigger hit from that loss. And consequently, nobody now um, sees more to gain from this game that's coming up ahead. So I think there's a little bit of that dynamic at play too, that like, oh, all of you people who told me I was I was trash after losing to Michigan for the second time, uh, and hey, I was bummed about it too, but all of you who said things like that and came to me on social media with that level of vi- um, vitriol about it, uh, now I'm maybe going to go win you a national championship, but I don't, I don't have you in my corner now. I have to go do this kind of in spite of you, not necessarily for you. And he's kind of been in that corner for a little bit now. He's a little more open with talking with it lately just because he's gotten more comfortable doing media because that's what happens. But he's been there for about a year now because he's he's hinted at it at times about you know how people talk about him in these spaces. Once again, this is the small but loud group because it's not everybody. But he, he's hinted at this a couple of times. And some of it is – he says one of the things he said after the Michigan game. Yeah, he said all that stuff. I got to eat it. And he has, he's cool with all that stuff. That's just normal sports talk. When he said something, he said on the lines of one loss doesn't define us. And I think a lot of people took that as him 
downplaying the fact that he just lost to Michigan, which is not at all what he was doing. And sometimes some of the stuff he says can come off as people thinking he doesn't care as much as they do. And he even made that point today of this, this is a direct quote. Of course, I take it very serious. I live it. A lot of people just watch the game on the couch. I live it every single day. And I'm the one that gets laughed at on TV and things like that. It's, He's trying, he, he does, he does the same thing a lot of athletes do. When they start losing, they go, Oh, I'm more than just this ball. I'm more than just the athlete. There's more to me. There's more to life than, than wins and losses and stuff. Cause you know, that's what you do when you lose. But for whatever reason, when he says it, it always comes off as if he doesn't care, which nothing can be further from the truth. And so it almost makes him already having to eat the negative things people are going to say. It almost amplifies that by 10 because it feels like, Oh, you lost, and it's because you don't even care that you lost, which isn't the case with him. Which he'll never say this on the record, but if you've ever just had a normal conversation with him about a lot of this stuff, his view on it is always like, "What more do y'all want from me, man? I gave it my all, and we've won most of these games." You know, some of it is complaining because it is taking the good with the bad, but it's almost when it becomes this extreme thing that is an attack on whether or not he cares about it is when you see him start to go on these tangents, like what he did on Wednesday afternoon. And my advice to CJ, I think almost his entire career would be like, don't work, don't just ignore yeah. that stuff. Because I thought, so, I thought at times, and here's the thing I think, I think CJ is a cerebral, kind of like a regular guy in a lot of ways, who and really smart. And then that he's not like a, as much as he like digs in on the film and stuff, like he's like a well-rounded person. And so like, I do think like he, sometimes it's like, oh, well, he has like a bigger picture view of the world and it can come across as like not caring. And it's like, no, that's not what it is. And I do think he really thinks about things which can cause you to take things to heart. I do think it felt like at times, and I would say this to him, I thought he got hung up maybe too, his, too much on, you know, at the start of his career against Minnesota and like before he had the shoulder surgery and stuff. And like before he set out that game last year, he wasn't playing great. And then people were like, I don't know, this guy's just kind of playing okay. And like he, I felt like he hung on to that for a while. And then like the second half of last year, he played great after his arm got healthy. But but I would just have advised like, it's okay, man. Just like, don't worry about it. You're playing awesome. Like, don't worry about it. But mm-hmm. I think all this to me now, Steven, all this is like people, people got hot. So it's oh, yeah. like to be like, ah, don't, ah, it's not the- that big a deal. Don't, don't worry what people said after the mission game. No, I like you. I I would take that to heart too. And I think Ohio State fans, a lot of them would say, I think there are a lot that are supportive no matter what. And listen, me as a sports fan, I'm not supportive no matter what. I am in favor of booing people. Now, I am not as in favor of booing college students as I am professionals. But like, I bought a ticket. I'm going to boo if if you're not playing well. Like this is this is big boy school. I get it. Like fans do that. Fans have that right. But then players also have the right to be like, okay, like we're not in this together necessarily right now. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do my best, but I'm doing it for me and my teammates and my coaches because one time I lost and you really got after me. So like, we're not best friends right now. And that's not everybody. That's not every fan, but it was a loud group of not as small as it was before mm-hmm. group of fans, Stephen. So I think a lot of you listening to this, maybe this is making you mad. And I think it should not make you mad. I, I think it's a, it's a real discussion of the relationship 
between fans and athletes when the walls have been broken down, Stephen, by social media? Is this not as distant of a relationship? Now, you know, back in the 50s, Every Major League Baseball player sold insurance in the offseason and would come mow your lawn. I get it. Yeah, yeah okay. But, but like, okay, that's it, – I, I hate that. Even that is like – okay, it's cool. That's, it is true. Lawn. It is very true. But also like, okay, and that's fine. But then like 50 years from now, there's going to be college football players and professional athletes making 10 times more than what they're making right now. That's just how life works. I, I think but, – But that, the social media is, is, the, is the connective tissue yes. that allows this relationship to – they, you can voice your opinion to them more directly rather than just booing yes. from the stands and they can hear it. And we can't pretend that it doesn't have an effect. Yeah. I, let's, I'll just use a prime. We didn't find out that Travion Henderson had all those injuries because we were sitting in an interview session with him and someone said, Hey, what's been going on with you? We found out about it because somebody, some jackal, as Doug likes to say, was tweeting crazy stuff at him. And Trey finally got sick of it and said, and basically, this is what I'm dealing with. You try to run when you're dealing with this much stuff going on in your foot. That's how we we found out because he was in his mentions, and he just got sick of it. And he's not. I mean, these are still. I understand that they. First of all, not all of them are making that type of crazy money. The superstars are making that type of crazy money. We need to remember that. But this is where that fine line of they're still 18, 19, 20, 21 years old and figuring it all out. So it's very easy. For us as adults to go, oh, just ignore it. But I don't know if if I was 18, 19, 20 years old, if I would have ignored it. I, I don't know that. I just didn't have to live 18, 19, 20 in a public space where, as Charles said, when I make a mistake, it's on a scoreboard for you to look up online. So I used to cover a program that for the longest time, the coach had a rule that players could not be on social media during the season. Like from the time that they had the first official practice until their season was over, they could not be on social media. And eventually that policy changed partially because they saw what was coming as far as branding and, and things like that. But it was yeah. a policy for a long time. And I always thought that that was a little too constrictive. These are all adults by the time that you get them. I think you have to be not be protective, but his, his uh, incentive or his, I guess the reason for doing it was because he knows people take shots at them and he doesn't think it's unfair. He doesn't think it's fair to ask them not to respond, which is what you're basically asking. You're asking the athletes to take all this criticism from social media in every form and then just ignore it and not respond to it. So it's the, the way he got around that was like, just you can't be on it. You can't look at it. And I, how they monitored that for sure, I, I they had their ways, I guess. But I guess my all this is leading me to a thought that I had, which is, so what your advice, Doug, you said to CJ would just be to ignore it. What do you think Ryan Day's advice is to CJ or all players who get this? Because I'm, I think that he uses things like this, slights and slout, and and, and as motivation. Does so? I don't think he's out there encouraging people to say stuff about his team. But does he tell him to ignore it, or is he kind of feeding? where he says, you know, um, internalize it, process it, and use it as fuel for what you have to go do. And does that play into the attitude that kind of gets built here? My guess, as with all this stuff, is when players say phrases that sound like they like were they, yeah. focus group tested, oh, yeah. Woody versus the world, it's like, oh, uh, I wonder if CJ just came up with that? 
or most yeah. of the time they are regurgitating things that have been said to them. Yep. So my guess would be among the motivational tactics for Ohio State in a situation where a lot of the fans of this team were hot because they lost to Michigan, the idea of forget Ohio versus the world, it's the Woody, it's Woody versus the world, it's us, it's us, is a motivational tactic that has been expressed to them. As a motivational tactic, perhaps out of frustration, because nobody likes to get yelled at, and so... Uh, you know, you guys, you guys know how this is. This is how it works. And I, and again, I don't think anybody has to apologize for anything. I don't think that you should go on Twitter and F-bomb a 19-year-old because his team lost a football game. Okay? I mean, I think that's just like normal human decency. I don't think it serves any purpose. But fans can be mad when their team loses. Fans can be critical. Fans can boo. I mean, I don't, like, that's how sports is. We can pretend that we don't want it to be that way. But that's how it is. And these people pay money for this. And that's how it works. So, the players play, the fans react, good and bad, and then the but then the players can react to the fans' reactions. So then I guess the fans can react to the players' reactions to the fans' reactions, but then the, and then we can be in a in a vortex and never get out of it. But you know, it's just life. It's fine. It doesn't mean that everybody in Ohio State like doesn't like the fans, but it got hot, man. I don't know if you guys you guys listen. Do you guys realize people were pretty upset after the Michigan loss? Some of people still are. And so this is the outcome of that. And it's one of those, again, the, the idea of the main thing, I think, Stephen, right, that, that, that CJ was doing, all the context of this was standing up for teammates yes. in the midst of this. Then also including himself, but standing up for Jackson, standing up for Travion, and then basically saying, like, it's us. You know, I don't, that's all sounds pretty good to me. I mean, that sounds like the kind of thing you would want your quarterback, you would want yeah. any teammate to do, stand up for your guys and say, we're going to win for each other. So I don't, you know, I think it's yeah, all good. The rest of this is, I mean, they're famous. So they live in a world where today they hate you, tomorrow they'll love you, tomorrow the day after that they'll hate you, and then they'll love you again. That's normal stuff. But, yeah, what he did today is exactly what you want your quarterback to do. People were attacking his teammates, and he came to protect them in the way he knows yep. how to. And, again, in the end, I don't want anyone to think like, I mean, this is, nobody's feeling sorry for these guys. There are more good things than bad things about being a, a college football player at a, yep. at a huge program. And they know that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that the bad things don't hurt. So that's okay. So I, I, I hope this does that this should not lead to like a schism between the fans and the team. Like that's not what this is about. But it it just it was a very it was an emotional time for everybody. So now, right? That's behind. They're getting ready to play Georgia, but if that's part of what they're doing, it's all about us. Great, make it one of your motivational tactics. Go ahead. But I do think, but standing up for your teammates, all that was real. That wasn't motivational tactics, Stephen. That was like a dude who was standing up for his guys, which again yeah. is exactly what you would want. Okay, we had to do that vibe. There were a lot of other vibes, lots of other vibes that emerged from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center on Wednesday. And one of them I thought Nathan was just like the fascinating stories that these guys were telling about watching Utah beat USC. And that again, very relatable. These guys wound up being fans, just like all the Ohio state fans who were watching that game and rooting for Utah. These guys were doing the same thing in a way that is very unconventional for them. Steel chambers and Tommy Eichenberg were sitting in their apartment, screaming at the TV. They were yelling at Bryson Shaw, 
the former Ohio State safety who now plays for USC, sort of angry with him whenever he would make a good play. And then like, oh, yeah, Bryson, he's our guy. Hey, great job. But stop doing that. We want Utah to win. What are you doing? And so like that reality, Dewan Jones said he was at a high school game and getting updates on his phone. And like early on, obviously, USC was ahead. And he's like, oh, it's over. And then it got close. And he's like, oh, we're alive. Zach Harrison said, I was living my life. I was like, oh, were you yelling at the TV? He was like, they can't hear me. Why would I yell at the TV? And it was like, that's just one of the differences between Zach Harrison and Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. That's why Zach Harrison doesn't live with Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg. So Zach Harrison said, like, I was living my life. I was watching it on TV. I was watching it on my phone. And someone actually said that. He's like, well, I was watching it on TV and on my phone. It was sort of like, well, why were you doing it on both? And someone said, well, what were you doing that you were watching it on TV and your phone? And he said, I was living my life. It's like, okay, <laughs> Zach Harrison is like a normal, he cared, but he also is like a normal person. So all these guys were really into this, Nathan, and that idea, right, that you, they cared that much. I just think it's like a fascinating little window, right? That like this was, the, it was out of your hands and you were rooting for someone else to save you. Depending how this season, how this winds up, Nathan, like that is going to be like, a legendary game in Ohio State history if this if the Buckeyes wind up winning this thing and and they made that very clear how much they were into it. Oh, yeah, there was I mean the connection now between Ohio State and Utah that's building Tommy Eichenberg was getting questions about Cam Rising the the Utah quarterback and how tough that guy is and how how he's kind of a Utah fan now because you know they had this connection from playing them last year in the Rose Bowl but now they're forever connected. I mean this is an uncomfortable position for Ohio State to be in. And some players talked about that today, too, that you're Ohio State. You're not supposed to be asking for help to get into to have a shot to play for the national championship, right? And you're supposed to go out and win it yourself. You go win the Big Ten. You go take care of this job on your own. And it was weird for them to now have to like be asking for help, essentially, needing somebody else to step up and, and take care of some business that they couldn't quite finish on their own. So watching that game was a sort of surreal experience, I think, for some of these guys. Mike Hall was saying some of the same things about uh, watching uh, B. Shaw, as he called him, and and he wasn't really even talking about it from the – he was more just elated that Shaw was playing well, and he did have some some big plays in that game. I remember texting or tweeting that night that he was stepping up, and I thought that also is kind of – when somebody – if this team wins a national championship, that that is going to be a weird little footnote that – a year ago, they lost to Michigan. Bryson Shaw helped them win a national title. <laughs> well, well, not really because they didn't win that game. But uh, if, but a year ago when they lost to Michigan, Bryson Shaw was a guy they sent in to speak on behalf of the defense. Then a month later or less, he's gone, and then he's off playing for the team, you know, trying to get in over them. But, but uh, you know, just a bunch of good stories. So Emeka Abuka talking about how. Uh, watching the end of the game, and then his phone rings, and it's just his dad screaming because because <laughs> I think they 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 knew what that meant that that's a second loss for USC, and by precedent that probably meant. But, it, but like Eichenberg said that they were still watching pins and needles, some of them on on Sunday. Like they didn't assume necessarily that they were that fourth team. They knew that uh, it wasn't assured. So again, just nervous moments that this team isn't accustomed to. And I think that is sort of feeding into the mentality around this team right now that uh, it does feel like a, a reprieve that they have to try to take advantage of. I think one thing that was interesting is Dewan Jones kind of brought this up. He thought that the, the Michigan loss might be his last game. 
as Ohio State playing. How many guys did we talk to today where that could also apply? C.J. Mm-hmm. Stroud, uh, Ronnie Hickman, who's already said he's done after this season. Uh, Zach Harrison, he would have had a decision. There's a lot of guys. How different does this team look if USC wins? the two weeks ago and now Ohio State's not in the playoffs. So that comes to mind first of like, man, these guys would have, there's a lot of guys who might've played their last game as Ohio State football players at USC had won that game. But then it felt like this team had some hope that it didn't have last year because it was one loss and it was to the number two team in the country as Emeka Buka put it. Julian Fleming was talking about how they had been preparing for Georgia, preparing for Georgia, preparing for Georgia. Those two practices before the, the announcement came out were about preparing for Georgia whether even though it was mostly just good on good stuff instead of like installing stuff to get ready to play a football game. Uh, CJ Stroud had brought it up a couple of times. Marvin Harrison brought it up. It just felt like because it was only one loss, it wasn't doomsday of, well, our season is over and it just kind of is what it is. There was still some glimmer of hope, even if you still needed hope, needed some help to actually get to that light at the end of the tunnel. But I do think it felt like guys had to be snapped back into that to some degree. And like Ryan day, when we talked mm-hmm. to him a week ago was, was talking about that idea of like, okay, like it, it took you, took you some time to process it. And then they figured out, okay, we're going to practice midweek and we're going to practice for Georgia. They were not, it was not practicing for a bowl game. Mm-hmm. It was practicing for Georgia. And they did that in the middle of that week before the USC game on Friday night. But Tanner McAllister, who was the first guy out for interviews on Tuesday, revealed this to everybody that like it felt like guys were getting ready to drag through that practice. Sort of like, why are we doing this? And then a guy stood up and snapped them back. Nathan, and I know you're working on a story on this and you were talking to a lot of people about it. This again, this, you know, it's one of those things. They don't win national championships so you can tell good stories, but you can see like the stuff that are going to be the moments along the way. This is potentially going to be a moment, Nathan. And even if they don't win the national championship this year, this is going to be a moment in this guy's career because a guy stood up before that first practice and made him take that practice seriously. And it was the beginning, right, Nathan? It was the beginning of them starting to get over it and get locked back in to what was ahead. And it was because JT Tuimolawa made him do it. Yeah, and a guy who had to like summon a little bit of something from himself even to do it from from talking to him off on the side today. Uh, you know, McAllister said, you know, there were guys who didn't want to be there that day. They were, you know, as you said, like, why are we doing this? They they thought the season was over. They thought they had lost it. And, you know, JT told me that Something had happened late in the season. I guess, you know, they have their their times when they sort of pass around, um, you know, who's going to talk at practice or whatever. And it, it it was his opportunity to talk before the Indiana game. And he backed out of it. Like, he passed he passed it up. He said, no, like, that. find an, an older guy to do that. Like, he didn't feel it was his place. And... Even in that moment later, then that kind of bugged him. Like it, it stuck with him that he had let that go. I mean, he's a guy who's now at the end of his second year. He was starting a little bit last year. He's not a spring chicken. Like he's he's a veteran guy now, really. And he, I think internally, like he felt that that he had let something slip and he was regretting it. And when this, he said he kind of woke up that day. Now going forward past the Michigan game, the day of that practice, and just felt you know he had some. Uh, 
things that related to his faith that this played into. And he said he talked to his parents and they told him that he, you know, this wasn't, he wasn't just a player that he has a voice that he needs to use as well. And he said he went to the older players on the team to kind of make sure still that he kind of asked permission from them that he's still talking about himself being a young buck <laughs> and, and, and kind of getting their okay that he steps up and says something. But apparently that day, from what McAllister and other people said, like he kind of lit it up a little bit. It wasn't a long message, but basically that like, you know, don't waste this day because, you know, just going through the motions and, and not being engaged in that practice wasn't going to help them in any way um, for the guys who were trying to come back for next year, for the guys, you know, and, and they still knew at that point they had to mathematically know there were possibilities out there that weren't necessarily what they were thinking of immediately after the Michigan game. But a couple of days go by, you can see what's what's going on that following weekend. So that was really what it was. And if we're talking to Emeka Ibuka, who has known him a long time, obviously, both being from, you know, uh, Washington together, you know, he thought that that was a, a, an important thing for the team because there is no there is no formal passing of the torch of leadership. Like they don't have a ceremony really where they say, I was the leader before. I'm Zach Harrison. I was the defensive line leader before. And now JT Tuimaloao, now it's your t- turn. Like it's it's much more nuanced than that. It kind of has to happen on its own and from just whatever guys step up in those moments. And this was one of those moments. So as much as it could be the story of this year, this is still going to be a pretty darn good team next year. And it might be a big part of next year's story too about now this guy's presence. I've always said that it's, you know, it's great that you have leaders um, who are leaders regardless, but sometimes your leaders have to actually get on the field and, and it, it enhances the impact of their leadership and they need someone like JT Tuimaloao to get on the field and do those things and 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 be that leader together. Um, and he's taking the first step down that path. Yeah, I'd be shocked if he's not a captain next year because this and this is where it started. Which, thinking about some other players of his caliber, I wonder. I mean, Chase didn't make the playoff his sophomore year, but. How did Chase handle that bowl practice leading up into the Rose Bowl game? And how did that set him up to be the voice of that 2019 defensive line? Maybe even the defensive, the defense in general. Nick Bosa was a captain. Was this like around the time where that moment happens? We, we ask a lot of, Hey, when do you see a click for them as football players? But with these superstar guys, when do you start seeing a click with them as leaders, especially the ones who aren't naturally vocal? Because Marvin Harrison was talking about some of that today. He's just not a vocal dude. He's not a vocal leader. He's not one of those guys. But do we get a story at some point in fall camp of how Marvin, you typically isn't the loudest dude in the room, but it's Matt drills and it's early in the morning in the January and all of a sudden something clicked. And now Marvin Harrison talks all the time, but it starts here. And clearly it's JT is already headed down that path. Zach Harrison said someone's, I think, said something about, oh, a young guy stepping up like that. And Zach Harrison was like, I don't think of him as a young guy. Talking right. about JT, <laughs> right. right? That it's like that point, Nathan, of like, it, you're, you're at the end of your second year. He's played this whole time. He's not a young guy to me. Like Zach Harrison was like, I respect that guy. He's he's earned it, you know? So mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was a big deal. And I and I do, I, I feel like they're carrying that. And I think that was a, it was a preparation thing, right? Let's get better. But I think it was a, well done psychological thing to snap them back because I think they're carrying that. I think they feel like they got ahead of the game because they actually 
by not playing in the Big Ten championship game, they started preparing for Georgia before Georgia started preparing for them because Georgia had to go play in the SEC championship game that weekend. And so, because again, it was focused and it doesn't mean that they were simulating Brock Bowers and Jalen Carter, but they had a purpose. And the purpose was, we're going to have another game and it's going to be against this team. And and it, they reference it enough that I I feel like it matters to them. And if you, I don't know that, you know, if you had a chart of like the number of, I'd make a chart, the number of days of preparation for this game. How many days did Georgia prepare for Ohio State? And how many did Ohio State prepare for Georgia? We're ahead of them and they cannot catch up. We have an edge. Keep it. And they've talked about, they have a chip on the shoulder. My gosh, I'm sure the phrase chip on our shoulder, chip on my shoulder was said 10,000 times today. They feel that in practice. They feel like they have an edge in practice. They feel like they have something to prove. We have gotten a lot of questions just generally from texters like, what's the vibe? And I feel like the vibe is, you know, Zach Harrison, people, there was an odd line of questions with Zach Harrison where someone said, the Mich- is the Michigan loss in the back of your mind? And then someone else said, well, isn't it in the front of your mind? And Zach Harrison was like, are we, what are we talking about now? Like we're talking about where the, where in my mind it is. And it was like, is it the side of your mind? Is it like in the diagonal cerebellum of your mind? And Zach Harris. Yeah. It's the frontal cortex. And Zach Harrison was like, Georgia's on my mind. It's Georgia. Yeah. Like Georgia's on my mind. Like what? Like, of course we didn't want to lose to Michigan, but like, what am I thinking about Michigan right now? I'm thinking about Georgia. Like, what are you asking me? I'm thinking about Georgia. It's a weird space because we haven't talked to these players since the Michigan loss. So there is still some, you know, residue left to ask. I mean, we talked – even better point. I mean, who's the defensive player we talked to after the Michigan game? JT. It's not like we got an actual – old. so even more to that point. But, I mean, we talked to two players after the Michigan game. And so we never got to ask all these questions about how that felt – Meanwhile, to the point of this quick turnaround, it's like, I don't care. I mean, it felt bad. I can't think about that right now because we got to play the reigning champions. And so it was kind of weird today. It was a mixture of trying to ask those questions that do matter, but they actually don't matter right now. They might matter a month from now after the season is over versus trying to look ahead to the thing that actually is important right now. And to Zach's point, to you know, uh, Mecca's point to basically everybody's point, dude, I don't got time to be feeling sorry about, about this Michigan thing right now. We got to beat Georgia and they're better than Michigan is. They're better than everybody. That's why they're the reigning champs. I do think that's, and it is a little hard. Like you go through sometimes, like you have the underdog conversation and one guy's like, I love being an underdog. Another guy's like, I don't care. So Nathan, like you, we, you know, it just depends which of the 20 guys are you talking to? Some guys are buying into some stuff. Some aren't, but I do think across the board, they feel like they're having productive, you know, productive practices with an edge, which I think is the point when you're getting ready to play number one. Yeah. Some people more internally motivated, some people more externally, everybody's different, but I like your concept of the idea that they, they just, because even if it doesn't logically make sense, right? Even if like an Ohio State player were to go up to a Georgia player and be like, hey, like we have extra practices on you. Like we were out in front and they're like, we know, like we were playing for the SEC championship game. Have you heard of that? Like we we couldn't start preparing for you. And they're like, blah, 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 blah. I don't care. We, we're we ahead. Right. We're out in front. We, we have more practices. Like I, <laughs> but I think it that's as useful as anything that you could come up with, you know, playing you don't have as we talked about before this team does not have to conjure ryan day does not have to conjure an underdog status for this team anymore 
They're the underdog. They're the underdog in the Big Ten right now. They're the underdog in this matchup against Georgia in their backyard. Like that's so how do they embrace that mentality going into this game and trying to shake that off? Because it's that's an interesting dynamic, too. It's like embracing it for the moment because we want to go dispel it. We want to go beat Georgia and prove that we're st- we actually are legitimately one of the best four teams in the country, that this wasn't an accident. And then we want to go beat the team that took our Big Ten crown away. And sometimes like you ask, you ask one guy and it's like, oh, you're an underdog. And he's like, we've been an underdog all year. And it's like, right. no, no, you haven't. No, I know I, that's that's not true. Uh, but but again, part of that and again, like part of that, they did try to grasp onto some of that because they had lost to Michigan and they had to wait three a whole year to try to beat Michigan again. And, you know, everybody doubted them or whatever. And it's like, well, then you lost again. So like that, did, you know, but this is actual stuff. They know Georgia's good and they're focused on Georgia. And so from that standpoint, the idea of flipping it, rebounding, whatever, it feels like I think it would be an, a legitimate observation to be like, it feels like. They are in a good headspace of we got a second chance we never thought we would get, or at least we knew wasn't guaranteed. We want to take advantage of it. We're focused on Georgia. We're not worried about Michigan. We're worried about the people in this building getting after it, and we've been practicing with an edge. That all feels very real. The last little thing from Zach Harrison, who, again, is a very kind of a deep-thinking guy to talk to, he was talking about, you know, I said, do you ever look up how often do you think about a national championship? And there was – he said that he looks at – they have the national championship banners, the eight of them up around the indoor practice facility. He said, I look at them every day. I think about it every day. I, that's why you come here. This is what I think of. And he said, you know, sometimes those guys from the 2014 team will come back and they're like royalty. And like, that's what I want to be. I want to be royalty. I want to be Ohio State royalty. And that's the opportunity we have. And so, yes, like they lost to Michigan this year. But Zach Harrison, this is his last chance to be royalty. This is his last chance to – be part of Ohio State history. And so, I mean, that is a real motivating factor, of course. And I do think, guys, right, just as we generally think about this, third appearance in the last four years in the playoff, they played well in their first playoff game in both of the previous two years, right? Now, they didn't Mm -hmm. play well in 2016, but that team, like, probably shouldn't have been in the playoff. In 2019, they came out and played well. They just didn't score enough in the red zone or whatever, and then they gave up a couple Trevor Lawrence runs late. But they played well. Mm-hmm. And and Clemson had to fight back to win that game. That was a competitive game. They didn't play perfect, but they I think they played. They came out ready to play, and they played some football. And if you catch a swing pass, whatever, right? I don't know that anybody would be like, oh, man, Ohio State, they stunk up the joint. Maybe they didn't take advantage of every opportunity, but I thought they played good football. And then in 2020, they played good football. They probably played the best game of the Ryan Day era. They came out and, and did what they had to do. So from that standpoint, Stephen, the idea of, I don't know, how are these guys going to prepare with a month? Okay, well, we have two examples of, like, they got ready, and then they went out and played good football. So when you add that in with the motivation, the way they're talking about all this stuff, I think, you know, this seems like a team that maybe very reasonably is on track to play a good football game. And then the question is, is a good football game enough to beat Georgia? Yeah, I, I think – I've come around on the idea that Ohio State probably plays its best game on December 31st, just because we've seen enough proof, whether it's the Ryan Day era, even back to 2014. That uh, Alabama game yep. was probably the most impressive game they had all year, and a couple weeks before that, they beat a team 59 to nothing. So I, I, I've come around on that idea, and now, as you said, it's, it's the best game you play all year good enough to beat the reigning national champions. 
It was good enough to beat the rate. It was good enough to, to, to beat a team who had recently won a national championship in 2014 in Alabama. And it was good enough to beat a team who had recently won a national championship in 2020 in Clemson. And we'll see if that's the case in 15 days. Man, time is flying. It is. Get your Christmas shopping done. Okay. <laughs> when we come back, at least one more football thing we need to talk about, then we'll finish up this Buckeye talk after this. All right, Nathan. So, Health, something obvious on everybody's minds. One of the guys that everybody is curious about is Mike Hall, who has been playing, but smaller number of snaps in recent weeks. I think we even went through it the other day in the rapid fire pod when we were going through the starters and who should start. Mike Hall among the Buckeyes that was there for interviews on Wednesday. And we got at least a little clarification on what exactly is up with him and how that's affecting the number of snaps he's been playing. So, yeah, he told me it's, it's an issue with both shoulders. It's not just one thing. It's, it's both of them. Um, and that there's not really anything. It doesn't sound like they're going to have to do after the season, as far as cleaning that up. He doesn't anticipate surgery or anything like that, but obviously it's something that needs needed some time to heal and in the middle of a season you don't really get that time he he intimated that there was a point where they were looking at does he need to sit out and he didn't I guess there was the one game where he didn't play at all I'm blanking now which game that was but it was one of the non-conference games right maybe Tulsa or not Tulsa Toledo maybe I'm 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 blanking right now in, in the middle but it he he wanted to keep playing, even if it was in a limited role, to try to play and get as much out of it as he could. But I asked, you know, do you think you can play more against Georgia because of this time off that you're getting and, and the more you're healing up? And he said yes. Now, that will obviously be a little bit dependent on what Larry Johnson decides to do with that position. Because at the same time, he's also talking like, you know, he wasn't healthy for that Michigan State game where he had nine sacks on eight snaps or whatever it was. but when later asked, like, well, yeah, so how healthy were you? And he's like, oh, like 80, 85%. And I'm thinking like, well, that doesn't sound like, aren't a lot of guys like only 85% healthy? Like, do they really need to limit your snaps that much? But uh, they had a plan that they were executing. And I'm, I'll be intrigued to see as we get closer to that game, if it sounds like he could be starting playing upwards of 30, 40 snaps again, like he has it at times this year in, in important games, or if they you know, roll with Ty Hamilton there and as the starter and then still use Hall in more of what we've seen thus far or the second half of the year um, in that more specialized role, whether that's keeping him more for passing downs because of his penetration ability or, uh, you know, maybe saving him into upping his workload in the second half in a tight game. I don't know. But if, if there is going to be a change, because he's talking about being healthier than he's been in weeks. This is a guy who is really, I mean, those first first several games of the year, I mean, he was on like an All-American trajectory. And then that didn't that really dissipated because he just couldn't get on the field as much. So we know how dangerous he can be if he's unleashed. Now it's just a matter of whether he, you know, Ohio State trusts that he physically can do that. Yeah, something tells me he was not near eighty percent because I think he's off that on that estimation. Yeah. Everybody has their yeah. own scale. I think him saying eighty percent is what they were telling him, them so he could keep playing. I I don't 
Cause Maybe. you don't, <laughs> you, you don't go from playing 30 plus snaps a game to playing 12 because you're 80% at late in the season. That's pretty normal. But if he's close to 90% or 100 and he's back to what he was at the beginning of the season, that's a good thing for Ohio State because what he was doing at the beginning of the year and the way he was disrupting the pocket from the interior, I mean, that's what Georgia lives on and that defensive line lives on, whether you're talking Jalen Carter or on down the list. So Jordan Hancock, another guy who's been dealing with stuff all year, another guy who was out for interviews, as we mentioned before, on Wednesday, did not – play corner in the Michigan game, did play special teams. It seems like, Nathan, he was saying, like, I, this bowl practice is good for me. He's been dealing with the hamstring all season. It seems like he feels like he's going to be able to get closer and closer to 100%. It's just a lot of – I mean, most guys, if you don't have a season-ending injury, if you get a month off, it's going to help you. I don't know what that's going to mean, but I don't know, Nathan. Does it, it – it sort of feels like a little bit after – what Jordan Hancock had to say Wednesday that it feels like he might be more prepared for a larger role against Georgia. Another one that's hard to read because they've just been so ultra cautious with him, but you would think that for instance, like not playing him at all against Northwestern in a game where it seemed like he was on a trajectory to have a big role and he was there. They just didn't play him at all because, and Jim Knowles saying later is because of the, the weather. And so they've been, but you would think that that plan was to be ultra cautious with him until he could get back on the field for a situation like this. But uh, he wasn't playing well when he played down the stretch. And this may be similar to the conversation we were having about the running backs too, that it's not so much does, is he healthy enough to play? Is he healthy enough to play well? It's also a situation where if Denzel Burke and Cam Brown, if Cam Brown can avoid any kind of injury recurrence and, that is something he's had to deal with throughout his career and throughout this season, various little things. If they played almost all the snaps, that wouldn't surprise me either, just because those are the two most trusted guys. But um, he's there's so much talent there that if it can if it can break through, just if it can just sneak through the cracks somehow in a game like this, if they only need him for a dozen snaps, but he can make the most of those dozen snaps, uh, that helps Ohio State. That makes Ohio State better. I think he's going to play more than that. Just going back and listening to it, the way he was talking, it wasn't so – it sounded like he was saying that he was still dealing with the lingering injury in the second half of the season that was limiting him. It's just during the season he was doing more scout stuff and just wasn't getting reps. And he's playing corner and you need to get reps. And if you're not getting reps because you've already missed the first half of the year and you're not really getting the necessary one-on-one good-on-good reps – to be able to play the role, that's when you make mistakes in games. And he was making mistakes in games. And so the way he was talking was almost like they're doing a lot of good on good rep stuff where he's just getting reps and reps and reps that he hasn't really had since the fall. So because of that, that's why I, I said what I said at the beginning of the pod where it's like maybe I'm reading into this and maybe I am doing a little too much there. But I don't know, man. It seems like he's fully healthy and he less than needed a month to get healthy. He needed a month of just playing snaps at corner in practice and practicing that position so he would be ready to play on Saturday instead of like it was it's two practices during the week, real practices, and he's probably doing scout team because Denzel Burke and Cameron Brown or Denzel Burke and J.K. Johnson are getting the most of those reps because those are the guys that are in rhythm. And so it feels like this situation is more about Jordan Hancock getting in a rhythm. And once he gets into that rhythm, we'll start seeing some – some of the stuff that you know they they at least hinted at some of the stuff he was doing in the off season in the fall camp and in spring camp some of those flashes he had and so I don't think his is a health issue it's just 
reps and opportunity. And now he's gotten both of those, and we'll see if it pays off in a couple weeks from now. I'm down with the idea of Jordan Hancock having a role in the Peach Bowl. I just want to make sure that we are not saying Denzel Burke, who played 526 snaps this year, which was fifth among defensive players, is not going to start in the Peach Bowl because he didn't come to bowl in immediately. No, no, no. What I'm saying is I I think there is – I think this was going to be a three-man rotation. And those three are healthy now and in a rhythm because they're getting this month. And we're going to see something closer to that. That's what I mean. That's Ryan Day. Like through the course of the season, revealed like we thought this guy was going to start. Like yeah, I yeah. think that they they it seemed like they thought they had three starters at corner, at outside corner. Yeah, for those two spots, and then Jordan Hancock got hurt, and then he couldn't be that. But that this idea of I do think that that idea of more reps one on one, and again, as we have talked about this, and I think we were really might even been in twenty twenty too, right? that we really got into the idea of, man, they feel like they change jobs week to week based on how mm-hmm. guys practice. And so I think maybe there've been a couple more reminders of that this year that it's like, Oh, what happened? It's like, I just practice well. So the idea that Jordan Hancock's going to get good one-on-one practice reps and get himself ready for Georgia in a way that he was never able to get himself ready this year, partial health, health, Stephen, what you're saying, the health led to, sort of falling behind on reps, and now all of a sudden you're on a scalp team, and now whatever. But it's not only health, but mm-hmm. all that wrapped together, Jordan Hancock is going to be able to practice for this month of prep in a way that he has probably not practiced all year. And that will get him ready in a way he hasn't been ready all year, which means we very well may see the best of Jordan Hancock on December 31st in a way that we have never seen him, but in the way that they were talking about him in August when he was getting – reps mm-hmm. right why where did their talk come from when they were like yeah we thought this guy was gonna be a starter what was that based on practice right. what they were seeing in practice and then it never was allowed to happen so guess what they have now they have a month of practice so guess what he might do might be that guy again so i, I could say and i think that'd be good for them right that's what just like i think a lot of my mine as the lead guy not too much I think a version of like Cam Denzel and Jordan, Nathan, that three man, three man for two spots. Hey, a guy gets beat. Let him, let him, you know, reset himself a little bit. Guys, oh, they're running a lot of deep routes. Oh, let this, get this guy out. Let him rest for a series. I think that would very effectively be as much as I used to regret my fight with Kerry Combs about rotating corners, right? The, the more press man you play, right, the more you have to do that because you're just running with guys rep after rep after rep. But, Nathan, that makes sense to me that the best version of Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, and Jordan Hancock might come out in a situation where none of the three of them are asked to play every snap. Yeah, maybe. And especially a matchup like this that's going to be, I think, a pretty physical matchup. I mean, Georgia is not a finesse team by any means. You're going to get knocked around a little bit. And that third guy, if if he's ready – would be hugely effective. So again, it's 35 days. It's actually a long period of time to get a guy ready to play one game. Um, well, hopefully more than one if you're Ohio State, but you know, at least one game to focus on one game. And um, you have all of the time in the world to to because you're not even practicing every day. You get extra recovery time right now. You get extra you know uh, time in the in treatment and everything. So I'm open to it. Uh, but it's just it's it's a harder thing to project because it really even since he came back and played it's been since the spring since we have actually seen it from Jordan Hancock doesn't mean it isn't mm-hmm. there but it's it, 
it, it's been more words than uh, than action. So uh, is he like the revelation of this game? I think that's possible. All right. Anything else we need to talk about from a football standpoint? Again, 20 guys we talked about. The health really matters. We covered Mayan. We covered Jordan Hancock. We covered Mike Hall. We talked vibes. We talked about C.J. Stroud. Stephen, you did mention Marvin Harrison Jr. A little sad not to win the Boletnikoff Award as the best receiver in the country. He was one of the three finalists. He, he lost to Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, who had five touchdowns against Alabama. You and I were talking about that. Yeah. yeah. Good thing to have on your resume for the Boletnikoff. He did have like 300 more receiving yards than Marvin. Marvin's was not a statistical case. Marvin's was a, I watched that guy and he does stuff I don't think is humanly possible case, yep. which can be a more difficult case to make opposed to big stats in a big game, better stats overall. So I'm not, I don't think it's indefensible that Jalen Hyatt won it over Marvin Harrison Jr., but he's also pretty good. Yeah, no, he was disappointed. He thought he was the best wide receiver in the country. Um, but also, as we he was sitting down to talk, the news was breaking that he was a unanimous All-American, which caught him up by surprise as well. No, he's Marvin's way too humble. It's annoying. I have to be cocky for him because he won't do it. It's he. None of this was his goal this year, and a lot of that is because they thought Jackson Smith and Jigba would be getting a lot of that stuff. And so once Jackson comes off the table, then it's like, all right, well, somebody's got to go do this stuff. So Marvin just so happens to be the guy to do it. But I was at, I don't know, did you have high expectations? Did you want to be all this stuff this year? He's like, no, I really didn't. No, I just wanted to have a really good year and contribute. And then maybe, you know, 2024, 2023 is when you get to the Bolitnikoff and all that stuff. It's just Jackson got eliminated from the picture. So his his, his ceiling and expectations had to rise there. But just um, disappointed he didn't win. There was a Instagram uh, – Zach Harrison put out a v- video the night that they announced the award of Marvin Harrison Jr. back on his his girlfriend, the the Monarch Machine and the Woody. And it, from the moment, it looked, it made it seem as if Marvin Harrison was doing that because he had lost the Belitnikov. Come to find out that it's not true. He is just in there every single night because he has no life, and all he does is work out on the Monarch Machine. He's crazy. Yes, yes. He had uh, – he was ninth in the nation in receiving yards per game. This year, he was fifth among power five receivers. Jalen Hyatt averaged 105.6 receiving yards per game. Marvin Harrison Jr. averaged 96.4. I thought one of the the interesting stats. Jalen Hyatt, 15. Sorry. One of the interesting stats, I think he averaged, was it 16.05 per reception? And that was the highest, something around there, 16-something. And that was the highest, like by far, of anybody that had as many catches as he did. Like it, most guys were around more like 12, 13. Well, Jalen Hyatt had five fewer catches, but he averaged 18.91. So, right. so I, I know what you're saying yeah. that no one with more catches than Marvin had a higher than that, but right. Jalen Hyatt was two and a half yards more uh, with almost as many catches. So it's, it's Jalen Hyatt's good. Is Marvin Harrison going to be drafted higher than J- Jalen Hyatt's going pro now? He's not playing on the ball game, but when Marvin Harrison Jr. goes pro in a year, will he be drafted higher than Jalen Hyatt will be drafted in this draft? Yes. No doubt about it. But is that the only thing that matters? No. There's a lot of things that go into the voting. I voted for Marvin Harrison. Steven, you said you voted for Marvin Harrison. I mean, it's one of those things. But um, I think Brian Hartline's probably mad because Brian Hartline's always mad. <laughs> Brian Hartline's always mad about these things. Brian Hartline was mad last year when they didn't even have a finalist of the final three guys because everybody was like, ah, is it Olave or Wilson? Ah, neither. 
Oh, that's easy. Ah, just make it neither. And then it's like, ah, David Bell, he's the Big Ten receiver of the year. And it's like, have you watched the NFL this year? Do you think David Bell is better than Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson? Nobody ever thought that. What are you going to do? So at least Ohio State, at least Marvin got to be a finalist. He'll be the favorite to win it a year from now. Because again, and as Marvin was saying, it would have been difficult for him to have this year if Jackson Smith and Jigma had 2,000 receiving yards, as some predicted this season. So he took advantage of the opportunity. We'll leave it there. We're getting ready to break down Ohio State and Georgia in future pods. We're going to dig in on this. We are going to talk about the matchups on both sides of the ball. There certainly were some questions about Darnell Washington, the six foot seven, two hundred and seventy five pound pound tight end from Georgia, who is large and not even the best tight end on that roster. I was asking a lot of questions about, hey, you guys covered Michael Mayer. How does that? What does that mean? You might do against these two Georgia tight ends. You know, people were talking about Lad McConkey. You can't forget Lad McConkey, the best receiver for Georgia. Two good running backs, including a guy in Kendall Milton, who they Ohio State recruited many moons ago on the West Coast. And then, obviously, the uh, defensive side of the ball. I know, Stephen, you were asking a lot of guys about Keely Ringo, five-star DB, uh, one of the best corners in the country that a lot of these great Ohio State receivers know because they were in the same class as him. Um, Jalen Carter, one of the best defensive tackles in the country, maybe the best. You know, Ohio State has faced some good SEC defensive tackles in games like this before. So that will be a challenge for everybody. I think Luke Whipler and the interior offensive linemen are keenly aware of that. So we'll get into all of that. That's coming. But for now, we appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. Go read our stories at cleveland.com slash OSU. If you want to try the text, 614-350-3315. What else you got, Stephen? Yeah, I want to just add a couple of recruiting things in here just because um, one of them just happening as we're recording this. Uh, one, Ohio State got its a 2023 quarterback in Lincoln Keenholz out of uh, – South Dakota. He's a guy who is late blooming prospect. He's a borderline top 200 recruit now, which is what he wasn't six months ago. So that's taken care of. But the more important one here is as we're wrapping this up, Ohio State's 2024 class got another commit. Jeremiah Smith, the number two player and the top wide receiver in the country. So as of right now, Ohio State's 2024 class is home to the top two players in the country with him and Dylan Raiola. So uh, with all the recruiting problems that are going on, Quarterback and wide receiver, you know, continue to keep rolling. Where's Jeremiah Smith from? He is from Florida. He's from Shamanad, Madonna Prep. It's the same high school that uh, cornerback Ryan Turner and current defensive end mm. Kenyatta Jackson are from. So they're building a bit of a pipeline down there. Nice to have pipelines. You know, that's a big pickup. That's a big pickup. Okay. That's the plan. Um, assigning day is next Wednesday. We will have coverage of that, certainly, at cleveland.com slash OSU. Steven's been doing profiles on all the guys in this 2023 class, popping one up every day at cleveland.com slash OSU. Bunch of other stories about the Buckeyes up there now and headed your way in future days. Get subscribed to Buckeye Talk, and uh, we always appreciate you guys giving us a chance to be part of your Ohio State fandom. For now, for Nathan Baird and Steven Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.